This is Marketing Jam, a podcast featuring the brightest minds in Canadian marketing. Hi there. Welcome to Marketing Jam. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. The following interview is part of a series of interviews recorded at the Canadian Internet Marketing Conference in beautiful Squamish, B.C., where we had the chance to talk to some of the leaders in digital marketing and technology from Canada and around the world. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, welcome back to Marketing Jam. Shahid Devji here, and I'm pleased to be joined with David Labistur, the CEO of Mech, Canada's most trusted brand, or one of them, right? Um, I, I hear, I've heard you speak a few times, and the story you tell is that, you know, six years ago, that that phrase, Canada's most trusted outdoor brand, wasn't the case necessarily. Can you explain to me a little bit about where MEC was six years ago? Yeah, so six years ago, I mean, I start with our purpose at the time, and it was to uh, it was to help people realize the benefits of self-propelled wilderness recreation. And wilderness recreation at the time when more than 85% of Canadians live in urban environments. Uh, wilderness is a very Caucasian, uh, uh, sort of Judeo-Christian, Calvinist word um, to many, whereas nature and the outdoors is, is a much more friendly word. We also know that it was a very masculine company at a time when there are more women in the workforce. It was also a very white company where Canada is now, um, it's, it's almost reaching parity in terms of cultural diversity. And uh, we know that in the schools today, uh, we can see a huge diversity in Canada. And in the next 10 years, Caucasians will be in the minority. So our customer is changing on us. And we had to make sure that we changed to where the customer was, was and where the customer would be uh, and let go of what we'd always held very important to us. And I just want to tell you one little, little story because businesses are built on stories and cultures are built on stories. The story of our founders, which is correct, is that there were a bunch of people that were sitting on the side of a mountain in a snowstorm uh, during a backcountry ski trip or an, a climbing trip. And they came up with the idea of MEC because there was nothing in Canada like there was with REI in the States where they can get their product. And they founded the organization. And it was that story of the people in the tent that, that was really part of the culture of the organization. But what we forgot is that the people in those tents were young, they were adventurous, they were entrepreneurial. And what we'd done is we'd fixated on the tent and the snow and forgotten about the spirit of the people in the tent. And we had to get that spirit back in the organization. And that was what started the change, all led by the customer and where the customer was going. Right, and it's, it's funny how so many businesses can lose focus of the customer, even though that's who you're trying to talk to all the time, right? So six years ago, you also mentioned that there, were, there was not a lot of digital presence, no digital marketing and, and no Facebook, yeah, so, so none. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering how easy the decision was to jump on board at that time or whether it was easy to, to go that social route because as you mentioned uh, in your talk here at CIMC, the, the social following for MEC now is, is massive and it compares to many large brands in the States who have, which has a larger population. So, 
Talk about that decision and, and how that came about. It, once again, you focus on the customer, it's not a difficult decision because we are all on, at that time, not all of us, but certainly the younger of us um, were on social media and social media was growing. And again, if you look at how the consumer was communicating and where the consumer was gravitating towards, it was social media. Uh, we were very early on the e-commerce thing. Uh, so for us to move to social media, once we let go of the catalog, was instantaneous and it happened very quickly. Yeah. So maybe that's an obvious answer. You, you had to be there, that's where everyone was. The less obvious answer to this question is, how did you grow the following to, to the point where it is? What, what do, you, do you think it was about the strategy that allowed you to get to this point? I think we've always been a very authentic brand. Yeah. I think the gap between what we say and what we do is very narrow. And uh, you know, most of our staff are people that are active and people that love getting outside. So the, 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 the stories we told and the stuff that we put on social media and through email was always very authentic. And I think due to that authenticity and the fact that we're a member-based organization, um, it gathered momentum very quickly. Yeah, and, and do you think you were a bit ahead of your time in that sense, where right now it's all about relatability and, and, and or being organic and, and definitely being able to speak the con customer's language and show that you are just like them? You're probably ahead of your time there? Yeah, I, I think we were ahead of our time on e-commerce. We were ahead of our time on, on omni-channel. I think we were ahead of our time on social media. Um, and we continue to try and push those boundaries because if we don't keep moving, the world around us is moving so fast that I believe if you fall behind, you're doomed. Yeah, and, and you're very open about uh, not knowing whether in 10 years MEC is going to be around or not. The speed of things is one factor. What, what are some threats, so to speak, that you see uh, that if you don't adapt to could end up going down that route? I, you know, the, I think everything is driven by what gives the consumer value and what the consumers gravitate towards. And a big part of that is convenience. It's convenience, it's the emotional contact, it's the belonging. So we have to figure out um, what it is that the consumer wants in those three buckets. We have to make sure we give them the convenience. We have to make sure that we give them that emotional connection and we give them that belonging. And we have to balance the, the, the technical with the human all the time. Uh, and the problem is that the consumer, the human, is being so influenced by the technical that that space unfolds all the time. And very often it's not one technology, but it's the convergence of technologies that drives those big leaps. So we have to really keep our ear very close to the ground in terms of what the consumer wants and what gives them value. Convenience is one thing, and you've talked about Amazon, and you know most of us probably have used Amazon before and use it regularly. Do you view things like Amazon that make things maybe more convenient for us as, as a competitor for you, where you know you were like like you said, uh, an early adopter of e-commerce, and uh, and you were down that route, but now are maybe being forced to, to think differently about it? Is is Amazon competition, or is that if it makes it customer focused, then that's okay? Competition comes from all sides. 
um, ultimately the, the, the playing field that we're on is uh, it's people's leisure time and money. So if people are using their leisure time and money to game, for example, it's, they, they're leaving our space, they're leaving our time if they're doing it excessively. Um, and then there are direct competitions from our people like ourselves. And then there's the whole Amazon, um, the platform, these big platforms. So the whole world is changing. And I think that important is to try and find your own niche and try and find your, your own center of gravity that draws people to you. Yeah, okay. So you told the story about, uh, you know, recently uh, about a a weekend on social media where you're seeing some signals and, and then a week after that where you were, I guess, in PR and maybe in crisis mode. Are you, can you tell that story a little bit about um, sort of what happened and, and how you dealt with it? Yeah, so the, the irony of the situation is that um, after the shooting in Florida, uh, Canadians brought their concern about shootings in the U.S. to a Canadian brand that has absolutely no influence over this. And really what they wanted us to do is we had some brands on our shelves that were acquired by a larger organization that had gun manufacture uh, in, in their portfolio of brands. We'd been with those brands long before the acquisition, but there was a change.org petition brought to us to, to drop them. Um, and to be honest, the change.org thing was, was not transparent. We didn't know how many of those people were our customers. We didn't know how many of them were relevant to our audience. But there was a huge, we had 20,000 social media conversations at the same time. Some were for, some were against, some said let the consumer decide. Um, and it was all over the place, but it was very emotional. And watching the social media signals, the, the one thing that we did glean is that pretty much everyone was in agreement that there needs to be a greater conversation around the sensible ownership and sales of guns in the US. So our decision was, and I say, really using social media. People wanted us to make a decision quickly, but we wanted to speak to the brands. We wanted to speak to the holding company. We wanted to get, you know, sort of get their opinion before we did anything. Um, so we needed time. So our social media team were constantly uh, speaking to the public on social media while, the, while they were screaming at us to make a decision. And it, it's happened on Monday is when it's really built and we put out our decision on Wednesday. The decision was to not to cut ties with the brands but to stop further orders of product from them, trying to persuade them to become catalysts for a conversation in the US where they were based and trying to use our influence, because we had no control, trying to use our influence for them to become a catalyst for the conversation. A number of retailers followed us, which was quite gratifying to see. Um, but it happened really quickly, and at the same time, all the, me the media channels ate this up, and people look at the headlines. They don't look at all the content below the headlines. So there's a lot of misconstruence of our message out there. But it ended up that, that, our, that the, um, the, the, across everything on social media, our sentiment scores were well in the positive. But what was crazy, it happened so fast and it ended so fast. Faster than anything we've previously seen. And it really just shows to how fast things are moving, how the consumer's changing, and how people do not 
read messages that are longer than a snack size of content. A, tr a traditional PR move in that case might have seen a, a brand throwing their hands up and waiting out the storm and hoping it goes away and, and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. But do you find it incumbent upon you based on what you were saying before about the gap between the customer and the brand being so small, do you find it incumbent upon you to engage no matter what the conversation is at this yeah. point? I think you have to engage with your customers. You can't just say, hey, I'm not interested. Yeah. You, you have to be involved because they have the tools to speak to you. So you have to speak back to them. And if you're using those tools to get to where you want, it, it seems only fair to, to go the other direction, yeah. right? And sometimes you have to make a stand. You have to disagree with some and you have to agree with others. But you have to make a stand based on the consistent principles and brand of the organization. And it has to be brand consistent. It does sometimes mean making a tough decision and putting yourself out there. Are there any other trends uh, in PR or marketing generally that you see that maybe maybe aren't so much uh, of value anymore because of the, the sort of the environment that we live in where the speed like you said and everyone's so connected whenever things change you always have to maintain uh, sort of those areas that are driving revenue yeah while reaching out to the new and then you have to know when to let go and also when you reach out to the new you have to know what is hype and what is value. So uh, there are some traditional things that people thought were going to fail and they still have great value and there's some new things that people thought were going to be great but they were just hype. So I think it's, it's really trying to figure out and, and it's again back to agile methodology is you have to test things and instead of making a, a, a decision or uh, an assumption you have to test and through testing you find out what works and what you can drop. We dropped our catalog uh, and everyone said that do not drop the catalog it's your most important piece of communication. The physical catalog. The physical catalog and this was five years ago six years ago and we tested it and the tests seemed to indicate that we could drop it and when we dropped it we didn't lose a sale. Where are you putting some of your time right now in terms of where things might be going um, so that you're ready to drop other things? Uh, where, I mean, artificial intelligence is, is such a big conversation right now. So all of those things, um, we're, we're busy putting in a whole new ERP um, system which will allow us to integrate anything very quickly and do things in real time. But my personal attention is around getting the organization to move to an agile culture so that we're able to, as I say, iterate, learn, test, try, and not place big long-term bets on things uh, without having tested. And, and we have to become nimble. We have to be able to turn on a dime. And how important is it to, um, I, I heard a term, to go from URL to IRL, so from you know, the web to real life again, right? Because so much is done in the digital space. Do you find it still as easy to connect in person? I mean, you still have bricks and mortar locations, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I believe that the human contact is is our most valuable thing. At the same time, it's a liability in many ways. But if we use it right, our the humanization of our business and our contact with people 
is something, it's a huge part of our brand, and if we do it right, it's something that no one else can touch. Yeah. Do you guys do a lot of uh, digital ads, advertising in that sense? Is that, would you say that's uh, you know, a large part of your marketing? Our, our digital and social is, it's the majority of our marketing. Yeah, and so, did that switch five years ago, or did it switch over the last five years? It's, it, it started five years yeah. ago, but it's, it's rapidly flipped into, um, and we were never big marketers, to be honest with you. So. Uh, we didn't have big budgets, so digital was a was very, you know, sort of very close to our hearts. We were always uh, a, sort of storytellers, and we always had very close contact with our, our members. So it was a very easy thing for us to to, to get into. Yeah. And how about influencer marketing? Have you dabbled in that arena yet? Yeah, yeah, we do. We have ambassadors uh, that are people that that uh, are. are they're associated with our organization. They do amazing things. They go out and they really do fantastic activities and adventures. But they also are people that encourage those around them to get active and get off the couch. And those people, we make sure that they all have high cloud scores. Right, and, and do you find that that type of marketing is, is as effective as any these days? Yeah, uh, it is, but the difficulty is, is, is finding the right people who A, do the activities, B, are magnets for people and not elitists, and C, that are comfortable on social media and have high cloud scores. And it's difficult to find people like that. Did you have to go through an interview process to, to make sure they're the right fit? Interviews, it, it comes from all, you know, introductions. It, it, there's no one model, it's just it's finding those people. When you find them, you, you bring them in. Awesome. So maybe lastly, uh, the, the sense I get from you is that you're not averse to change, and, and, and that's probably important for a CEO, for a company uh, with you know, such quickly changing times around us. So where does that come from for you, and, and, and sort of what's the motivation for you to, to always be you know, willing to, to, to move forward? I think I've been very fortunate to live a life that's just been, it's been constant change. And uh, I, as I say, if you grow up with constant change and your paradigms keep getting exploded, um, I think you get used to change and you don't hold on to, uh, you, you know, you, you have to have strong opinions, but you need to hold them very lightly. And I know that the world is changing, I've, I've lived it. Um, I, I lived through apartheid South Africa, and you know that was a, a huge change for the country. Um, I've lived in, in different countries, and each different culture is like, you know, it's a, a change in the, the way people do things. Uh, and the evidence, the writings on the wall. I mean, we can see the change around us, and you, you cannot fear change. Yeah. One more question. Ten years, you said MEC might not exist, but ten years in your mind, where where will it be? Ideally, yeah, we, we'll be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and the reason, you know, my whole speech today is around change and around changing your mindset. You know, moving to an agile mindset and having the right tools for the right time instead of trying to apply old tools to the to the current time. And as I mentioned earlier, that's where my focus is right now is to to move our, our organization into that cultural mindset that we are able to use the right tools from a toolbox to solve the problems we have. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of it, sort of say half in jest, I don't know if we're going to be around in 10 years' time, but we're really trying to make sure that we are around in 10 years' time. Right.
but we cannot be complacent for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks yeah. for spending some time with me. Yeah, no Appreciate worries. It. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up and visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again and see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.